So I am really excited um, for actually for more reasons than um, that would probably take a sermon in and of itself for me to say it's really awesome to sometimes in the repetition of coming to church every week and leading worship every week, I never get to be on this side of the stage where I get to be led in worship. And so it was a real, actually just a real blessing to have Joel um, lead worship for us today and the team. Um, So uh, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't know, but I'll just say it anyway. For those of you that don't know, uh, my name is Rob. And I'm the creative arts pastor at Atrium Church, and so I get to bring God's word to you today and also, very important, give our pastor, lead pastor, Joe McGrew, the day off um, for some much-needed rest. And since I'm in charge, I get to make up the rules while he's gone. Um, I'd really like to just put our hands together. I know he's not here, but he'll hear it in the recording that we just really appreciate and honor Joe that uh, I would, uh, time and time again, I'm just blown away at um, what a blessing he is as our pastor and leader. Um, All right, so there's the intro. So look at someone next to you and say, you ready to go? Are you? Are you ready to go? Ready to go. All right, so for the past eight weeks, we have been in our Elements series where we've been talking about the the elements or the, the spiritual disciplines of a Christian, a healthy Christian, mind you, or Christ centered life. And today we get to wrap the whole thing up with worship, and that's actually really exciting for me, not because I'm the worship guy, but because worship really encapsulates all the other disciplines that we talked about. And it's really, this is really a true statement that, that the, the idea of worship, the practice of worship isn't a church or a Christian idea. In fact, I doubt you've ever met a human being in your life that isn't an expert worshiper, a fantastic committed, consistent worshiper. The problem being is because of our brokenness and our sin, we worship the wrong thing. So we're going to have to do a few things today. We're going to have to define really what worship is and then how we can uh, fix the fact that we've kind of we've shallowed out. You know, basketball season just ended, and it's always blown my mind that someone who is 7'3", who dunks the basketball, would dance after they dunk the basketball. You're 7'3". That's like me putting on my shoes like, you, you, I dunked the ball. I should celebrate and be awesome. He didn't, like, he didn't like before he was born, pray, you know what, uh, I'm Shaquille O'Neal, and I'd like to be 7'3 and be really athletic. Um, no, he didn't choose to do that, but we will worship the fact that he can do that. I'm pretty sure there's somebody, at least in this room, I'm new to the St. Louis area, but there's sure there's somebody in this room that can tell me every player on the St. Louis Cardinals. I'll just say that because I'm new, I don't know. Um, right? We all have those areas of things. You want, you want to run right off the list? No, I'm just kidding. Um, we all have those things. We have those areas of things that, that we worship and we value. So what we really need to do is, I think one of the problems is, is because we have worship centers and we have worship services, we've really condensed worship, which is this cosmic idea, this cosmic experience, and we've made it into, it's an hour on Sunday. That's what we do on Sunday. We worship on Sunday from 10.30 to 11.30, unless Joe McGrew is preaching, and then it's going to be more closer to 12, you know, and that's, that's our extent and our understanding of worship. So where I want to kind of get to today is I want to get to the real understanding of, A, what worship is, and then what we need to do with the knowledge that we have. So let's pray, and we'll get into it. Dear God, we just, we just thank you for continuing to reveal yourself to us. Um, we ask that in this moment that our hearts can be um, broken, that walls around our hearts can be laid down. We ask that um, you just speak through your word. I ask that you knock me out of the way, 
I don't want to say anything at all today. I want you to speak completely through me. And we just thank you for your son, Jesus, and for grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn to Romans eleven thirty-six. Romans eleven thirty-six. That's kind of that's in the New Testament, if you don't know that. Romans eleven thirty-six. We'll pick up right there. For from him and through him, we're talking about God in this verse. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We all know what amen means, right? This means I agree. Um, we're going to continue on into 12. Therefore, because of, I urge you, brothers, to, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, not holy and pleasing to you and not holy and pleasing to culture, but holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So what this idea is of worship is worship really has two sides of it. And that is there is glory and there is sacrifice. Worship consists of glory and Sacrifice. So on this side, glory. Glory is the centered focusness of your resources. That is your time, your, your money, your energy, your thought process, your life's motivation. That can be a thing and that can be a person can be in the position of glory. And because we are finite beings, because we do not live forever and we only have so much time and so much energy, we have to step over this side to sacrifice because we can't continually divulge ourselves into any and everything. So we make sacrifices so we can enjoy the person or thing that's in the position of glory. You, you understand kind of that concept, glory and sacrifice. Paul, who writes 75% of the New Testament, and um, he has a very interesting line in the New Testament. He says, some of you have as your stomach God, right? And he's literally saying that some of you as your God is food. So some of you think about food all the time. You eat food all the time and kind of like an altar, we go to the buffet, we go to the, the fridge, and that is our God. And so you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying food is God. Who would, who would say that? But what are we going to sacrifice for that? Well, we're going to sacrifice money. It gets expensive. We're going to sacrifice health. Quality of living is diminished. We all of a sudden, we have weight gain. We have, we have high blood pressure. All this stuff kind of happens all for the enjoyment of food. Now, no one's going to say that. No one's going to walk around and say that, well, food is, is God. No one's going to say that, but that's how we live our lives. Some of us do that with our job, right? We have our job, and my job requires this much time of me, and so I must continually be in work mode even when I'm home with the family and when I'm home with the kids. And so really what we sacrifice isn't even money or what we're sacrificing really is our families because we're always in work mode. We don't really value the time with them, and so we kind of lay our families up on the proverbial altar and just slaughter them all for the enjoyment of work, and that's what's really begun to happen with this idea of worship is because we have shrunk it down to this definable little bitty thing that happens on Sundays. So we worship the wrong things because of our brokenness. And actually in Romans 1.25, um, um, it's going to pop up there. I'm not going to read it. But what Paul talks about, um, Paul says, we will choose to believe the, the lie over the truth and we will worship creation over the creator. So what has begun to happen in us, the human condition has been struggling with, we worship creation 
instead of the creator. Paul calls it the old man inside of us struggles with wanting creation over the creator, which is a really funny concept because creation, physical creation, that's clouds and whales and mountains and blades of grass. Physical creation is worshiping God 24-7. So it's a weird concept that we would struggle with worshiping creation over the creator when creation itself is continually worshiping because worship is legendary. Like, worship has been happening before anybody in this room, including myself, were thought of even being born. And worship will continue to happen long after everyone in this room is no longer here. So it's, it is a little bit of a, um, a catch-22 that we uh, struggle with worshiping creation over the creator. And there's a, there's a pastor from Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia. His name is Louis Giglio. And he, um, he was talking one night, and he's showing pictures of these different stars that are in the universe, and there's one that's, uh, it rotates 11 times on its axis. And what we didn't know, because I don't know if you guys know this, but the, the world, but a lot of the U.S., your tax dollars pay for listening to the universe because we're trying to hear if there's any intelligent life out there. Um, we have yet to hear any intelligent life out there, but what we accidentally discovered is that stars make their own unique sound. Right, So whatever the star is doing, it ends up creating this radio uh, frequency that shoots out into the universe. And some of them sound like, like African drums just beating fast. And some of them literally, I promise you, sound like strings, right? Just sound like this full string section, all, all in praise of God. And so what I want to do is I kind of want to, that's kind of what he's talking about. I want you to see what he does when we kind of combine, when the whole universe, what the whole universe kind of sounds together. I want to show you this, this video that I got for you. They're going to clap. You can clap too. It's, it's right. You can go ahead and cut it off. You can cut it off. Right? So, um, yeah. So it's funny that in Romans 1, 125, I'll read it to you this time. It says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator for who is forever praised. Amen. So like, don't praise this stuff. That makes no sense because around us all the time, this cosmic legendary idea of worship is always pulsing and it's always going how great is our God. And so we know that worship is glory and sacrifice, and what we have done in our lives, we have taken God out of the picture, and we have put his stuff in the position of glory, and we allowed the, the stuff of God, right, the people and relationships that we're in, the jobs, the money, and sex, and all sorts of things that we have put in the position of glory to dictate our lives, and we make sacrifices that we can, so that we can enjoy the person or thing that is in the position, position of glory. And so what we need to understand is our worship at the moment today is really shallow. And so what we need to do is we need to get where our worship is deepened so our joy can deepen. Do you get, do you get what I say when I say that we make sacrifices so we can enjoy the thing or person in glory, like enjoyment? Like you know that God is after your joy, right? Like God's not after your happiness. God's after your joy, because your happiness won't sustain you when your marriage is falling apart. 
Your happiness won't sustain you if you lose a child. Your happiness won't sustain you when your heart is so broken that you can't even enjoy the sunlight. Your happiness won't pull you, that, to pull you through that. It's your joy. So when we make sacrifices for the enjoyment of the person or thing, and that thing isn't God, the all-eternal God, the all-giving God, the redeeming God, what happens is our lives completely fall apart every time. No matter how long it takes, it will eventually fall apart on itself. And so it's just... It's just funny that we would choose creation over the creator. Um, in that video, Lou Giglio, um, before he starts doing his mashup, he reads from Psalms 148, and it, it talks about this, this cosmic idea of worship. And he starts off with praise the Lord. And then he goes through this amazing list that in no way is anything in heaven, below heaven, the host, the clouds, all the way down to the mountains, to the creepy crawly creatures. And then after he names all of that, then he brings humans in, and that's leaders and slaves and, and old men and young men and maidens. He names everything. It says worship. God and just before that because what we need to do to redeem our worship is we need to remember, right? We need to remember to redeem our worship. And what I mean by that is we need to remember who God is, right? And it says just in the chapter before, it says that, um, this is uh, Psalms 147 verse 4, it says, he determined the numbers of the stars and he calls each of them by name. He doesn't call it, you know, P.S. I don't even know what the scientific name. He calls each of them by name, and that's just the that's just stars, right? So we need to remember who God is. God is the Creator. This whole thing, you know, getting together in this—it's God's idea. Life is God's idea. We didn't think of life. I didn't create myself. My mother didn't create herself. All the way back down, it all begins and starts with. God. And so we need to remember because when we remember who God is, it redeems our worship. And so what happens when we remember and it redeems our worship, we get underneath. So when I really appreciate the taste of chocolate, I love chocolate and cheese and garlic. Those are like some of my favorite flavors. Those flavors that, right? Not together. No, that's, I don't even, mm, maybe, I don't know. Not in America, I guess. Um, Right? Those flavors, those colors that you like, that didn't just happen. God created those flavors, and God knew that, you know, if you have these flavors and these flavors, they're awesome, but if you put them together, oh my goodness, you get moose track ice cream. Woo! Wow, oh, praise God. And so I, re I remember that God created these things, and that's gonna redeem my worship. All of a sudden, my worship begins to get deeper, and we view life through a different lens. And when we have children and when we have marriages. We, we, we have a lot of things to remember. So we need to remember who God is. We need to remember what God has done. Like, so God created everything, right? God knows everything. God is everywhere. And there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a story in the Bible in the book of Job. It's about this guy named Job. If you don't know the story of Job, Job is the, probably the I don't want to say unluckiest. That's not the greatest example, so I'm not going to say unlucky. But everything that could possibly go wrong in one human being's life happened to Job at once, like the same day. Like it just, the car went out, the wife left, the kids died. It was just, it was sad. Boils, it was nasty and sad. And it was just dark. And the entire time, Job worshiped God. But there was this little moment in his weakness because he's human. He said, God, God, what are you doing? He questioned God. And there's this great encounter in Job 38 where God is like, who, who is this that darkens my counsel dressed like a man? You, you don't even, where were you when the world was broken? 
Where were you when I laid its foundation? Do you know its exact measurements? So God's like, look, you gotta, you gotta, I know what's going on. I created the whole thing. This is my idea. So we need to remember to redeem our worship. We need to remember who God is. We need to remember what God has done. And we need to remember God's law, right? In Numbers and in Deuteronomy, it says, remember my command so that you can live the fullness of life. Teach them to your children. That's what's in Deuteronomy. It says, it says think about when you wake. Think about when you sleep. Remember, remember, remember. Because when we remember God's law, we can line ourselves up with the way that God designed things to be. And back to the Picking creation over the creator. Some people take the idea of God's law. And so instead of putting God's law, they choose religion and legalism. The, the, the law of God is freeing. It's not, God's not trying to rob you of joy. God's trying to run you into it, right? And so when God sets up these, these laws, like this is how marriage looks and this is how money should look, it's not because he's trying to rob you from joy. He's trying to lead you into joy. I thought of this great example of when I was a kid, um, my mom would tell me I needed to brush my teeth after every meal. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go play now. I'm done eating. I want to go play. Like, my mother isn't wanting me to brush my teeth because she wants to rob me from joy. She's trying to save me from cavities and pain. And I have cavities and pain because I didn't listen, you know? And, like, we can look at our lives because ultimately what it boils down to when we choose creation over ourselves, what we're, or over, um, over the creator, when we choose creation over the creator, what Ultimately, what it boils down to is we're choosing ourselves. We're saying, I got this. I got it figured out, man. I mean, I failed the sixth grade, but surely, you know, I got I to gotta work. I did fill the sixth grade. Don't, don't judge me. God gave me grace. Um, so what happens when we choose to worship creation of the creator? Uh, the, it's this shallow worship. So when we remember who God is and what God has done and what God says, how to run life, all of a sudden our worship begins, becomes to get Free, it becomes to be lifted, and we are liberated, honestly, from the best thing ever, and that's ourselves, because no one's ever let you down more than you. No one's ever made more promises to yourself and didn't keep them than yourself. So the problem really in the situation, I love you enough to tell you, is you. It's us. It's, we have this mixed up and confused idea that that stuff is going to carry us through, and so when we begin to look at remembering to redeem our worship, the greatest thing when we view our marriage, we can remember. When we view our marriage, we can remember and get underneath it so we can really enjoy our marriage. We get underneath it and we can look at the Bible and the example that God gives us about marriage, and that's Christ and the church, right? When it talks about um, friendship, when you, when you have a deep friendship, you just love your friend. It even says, in the, we remember that the Bible says there's no greater love than someone who would lay down their life for a friend. And so what we need to do is we need to get underneath. And this idea of remembering, this idea of remembering is it starts all the way back in Exodus when God frees the Israelites and says, I'm going to set up the Passover for you, right? So he's like, you're going to do this Passover. You're going to do this for generations. And what you're going to do is this is going to be a memorial for you so you can remember that I freed you. You were slaves and I freed you. You didn't free you. I freed you. Again, he, frees, he, when, uh, he brings the Israelites, he runs out the, the Canaanites. You remember that story? He even, God himself even tells Israel, he's like, I'm not driving them out because you're awesome. He actually tells me, you're a stiff neck and stubborn people. I'm driving them out because I'm awesome. 
And then we go on to Deuteronomy where it talks about, um, or I'm sorry, excuse me. We go to Numbers and Numbers talks about, hey, why don't you put my, my word, my law, why don't you put it on the walls and on your wrist and above your door frames. Just remember that I know what's going on. So if you just practice my law, it's going to go smoothly for you because this is how it is designed to work. And it goes on and on and on when in that encounter with Job. He's like, Do you remember who I am? But basically God's question to Job in 38 was, who are you? Right? Oh, well, we, but God, I'm, I'm kind of smart and, you know, I, I know what's, no, no. God's like, no, I, I know the big picture. You don't. Right? That's in Job. And it just goes through in the Psalms. All the Psalms talk about it. It's just, oh, my gosh, how amazing and beautiful God is and how wonderful he has created, created, created us and wants us to live fulfilled lives. And so it goes on all the way into the New Testament when even Christ himself, what's he, what's he do with the, the Last Supper? He breaks bread and he pours the wine. And what's he say? He says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember that I'm going to break my body. I'm going to spill my blood all so that God the Father can see you holy. Like that's what happened when Christ came, right? Because of Christ's death and when we are born again and take him as our savior, God sees us. And so the beautiful thing about remembering is that when we mess up, because we will mess up, and I don't know if you know this, but God knows what you've done. He knows what you're struggling with, and he knows what you don't even know you're going to mess up with. And because of Christ, he now sees you holy. So that's why we celebrate communion. It's because Christ died for us. So we want to remember, remember, remember. And so this idea, and even on past the New Testament, after Jesus has already gone home, Paul, who writes a lot in there, a lot of good stuff, but something he says all the time, he's like, he's like, when he, he sends out these letters, that's what the books of the, of the New Testament are, they're, they're letters to these churches. And he always starts his letter out with repeating the gospel. He always repeats the story of Christ and how awesome God is. He always does that first because he's like, you need to remember why we're doing this. So coming to church every week is really, really great, right? And that's really awesome when we sing some cool songs and we've got TVs hung finally, you know, by the grace of God. Um, yeah, oh my goodness, he hung them. That's why he's clapping. Um, Right, all that's great and dandy, but if we just show up in a religious routine, that's really shallow. And God wants to get you into some deep joy. And so we need to remember the reason we gather together is because we can get around each other and be like, yeah, we're all screwed up. Thank God God loves us, man. You know, Paul, Paul says something very interesting. He says, you know, this is a great way to, to view yourself. And Paul says this about himself. He said, God saved me. And he calls himself the chief of sinners. He's like, so that future generations can remember they're not as bad. Really, you might, you might be like, Rob, you don't know my story. Like, I've, I have laid waste to people's lives and people's emotions. There's, there's no way there's redemption here for me, but has anyone, and maybe you have, we're, we're full of grace here, so you can raise your hand, but has anyone ever imprisoned and beat and murdered men, women, and children because they believed in God? No, yeah, then God can save you because he saved that guy. The guy that did that, his name was Saul, and he changed him into Paul, who writes 75% of the Bible. And so Paul's like, Rem- remember, remember what I did. I was horrible and God brought me back. And so when we, when we start to view the things in our life, whatever that is, with this idea of remembered worship. So it's not just about the thing. It's not just about the person. It's not just about the law. It's about what all that came from. It's about what all that can bring us. Um, there's an author by the name of... Michael Prowse, 
and uh, he is an atheist, um, and he had a very interesting take on the idea um, of worship, and this is what he had to say. He says, worship is an aspect of religion that I've always found difficult to understand. Suppose we postulate an omnipotent being who, for reasons inscrutable to us, decides to create something other than himself. Why should he expect us to worship him? We didn't ask to be created. Our lives are often troubled. We know that human tyrants, puffed up with pride, crave adulation and homage, but a morally perfect God would surely have no character defects. So why are all those people on their knees every Sunday? Do, we, do you get his point? Do you get his question? He says, for God to say, worship me, God's being needy. That's what, now, if I stood up here and said, worship me, Bow before, I'm, I am needy. I'm not going to say I would be. I am a needy person. We're all needy, right? So if I were to say that, that makes sense. But a few people know that one of the deepest desires of the human heart is adulation. And it's not to receive it, it's to give it. We are wired to worship. That's why we do it so well. We have nothing inside of us that just wants to, just, wants to yell out and just give adoration so if God, let me rephrase that, since God is the most admirable being in creation, or actually he made creation, so since he's just the most admirable being in, under, and above creation, wouldn't us giving adoration, wouldn't him calling us into worship be called love? Because he knows that by us worshiping him, he would say, worship me if you want to be satisfied. Um, the great author C.S. Lewis, man, one of my favorite authors. Um, he used to be an atheist. I don't know if you know that story about it, but he used to be an atheist. And he struggled with the exact same question, but he, um, he landed at a different um, conclusion. And this is what C.S. Lewis has to say about worship. He goes, the, the most obvious fact about praise whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, and the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously erupts into praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poets, the praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, Flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles. I love that he says even in the next sentence. Even sometimes politicians and scholars. He said, I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise what they value, they also spontaneously encourage us to join in with them. Isn't she lovely? Isn't she lovely? Right? Wasn't that glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmists in telling men to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak about what they care of. And this is the conclusion. I think we delight to praise. We delight to worship what we enjoy because the praise doesn't merely express 
but completes the joy. The praise doesn't merely express, it completes the joy. So since God is for your joy, it makes sense that God would tell you to worship him because when you worship him, you're brought into the fullness of joy. The worship of God is, is freeing. It's a self-forgetting pleasure. Worship of God isn't about us, and that's the eventual point of it all. That God's like, I am God. You are not God. And the cross is a glaring acknowledgement. It's this huge spotlight that we don't got it figured out. If we had it figured out, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. So when we remember, when we look back and whatever that is in our lives that we super enjoy, and there's, I'm not, God's not saying don't enjoy life. Love music. And even in Ecclesiastes, it says, it says, dance, run, enjoy. It's, it's all great and dandy, but remember your God is coming. It says, just remember, God's the deal. So all that's great, but remember underneath all that it stems from something. And so we can enjoy music and we can enjoy our relationships and we can, trust me, I promise you, we can enjoy the, the gracious and freeing law of God, but we need to remember why that is and that's underneath and that's looking back at everything that God has done. And so when we look at our lives and we're going to get into communion in just a few minutes, when we look at our lives and we look at the, the mess that we continually make of it, when we look at our finances, we can, there's, there, I promise you, there's always something that God has done to reveal himself, to be like, I promise that my way is way better. And by the grace of God, he's not my way or the highway. He's just like, here's my way. It's a gift, and you can choose to acknowledge it. And so what we do every week is we, we partake in communion. And the reason we take part of communion is because Jesus had to come, and Jesus had to live a perfect life. And then he had to die one of the, the most gruesome Death, it's, it's death combined with torture. It's this horrible thing that he had to do, and that was ours. But not only did he physically have to suffer for us, what Christ did on the cross, if we remember what Christ did on the cross is he absorbed all of our wrath. Because you do get, because of sin, we can't go before God. You, you understand that? I, like God is ferociously holy, and so it's not even like you on your best day. Like, you know, well, I read... I read half the Bible this morning because I got up at 4.30 and I fasted all day and I saved 12 people in the elevator on my way down. Like on that day, on that day, we we're still disgusting before God without the blood of Christ. So that's why every week we take communion because we need to remember that we are screwed up. But by the grace of God and the, the humble sacrifice of Jesus, we are seen as holy again. And so... Joel's going to come up and he's going to start playing with the band. And when we take communion, I kind of want to do it just a little, a little different this week. When you, when you get your communion, go over there, but take it back with you. Just hold it in your hand and take a moment to remember why we're doing this. Isn't just, this isn't just religion. This isn't just our routine. We're remembering that we are broken. And so deep is our brokenness that God had to send his only son to come and, and bear all for us. And so what we need to do, just remember this throughout your life is that we need to remember everything is good, everything is well, but everything come, came at a, at a cost. So we need to remember who God is, we need to remember what God has done, and we need to remember his law. And if we can get those, and this doesn't just happen overnight, and this isn't just a, a, a frame of mind where, you know, you just happen to like, well, well, this wine is really good, and I'm just going to thank God for that. Like, it's this, it's this deep 
rooted understanding that everything, the fact that you woke up this morning and are sitting here is because God created us. And God has a very intentional plan for each and every single one of you. And I promise you, if God, I know sometimes we think, where are you, God? And God's like, I'm, I'm here. It's you that are running. Like, you ever heard this great analogy that when I ran away from God, I turned around and he was, he was still there? My, my story is, is really similar to that. Like, a year ago, not 10 years ago, not five years ago, 365 days ago, well, a week ago, last Sunday, a year ago. After leading worship at a church on a Sunday morning, my life was so broken and so dark. That Sunday night, I was laying in a bathtub. I was overdosing on drugs. And the walls around me literally, physically, not physically, but literally were melting. My eyes were fading as the walls began to melt. And my prayer to God at that moment was not to save me. I just asked God to help my mom be okay. Help her not to be angry that this is how her son died. That was a year ago. So I promise you, whatever situation you feel you are in that you cannot be liberated from, six months later, I'm on my knees getting ordained to come here by the grace of God. And I received Christ a long time ago. And so what happens in Romans 1, it says we believe the lie over the truth of God. Satan told me, hey, you, you are not worthy. You are not even, you shouldn't even be considered to go into ministry. That you are disgusting. How could you say you love God and have Christ in you? And then that's, that's where you were going to die. And that's what Satan would continually tell me even after I got here, that this was not my calling. I should not be here. But then I remembered that Christ died for me and God doesn't see that. It's that beautiful analogy of like, you know, like God's kind of funny because he creates babies with really big heads and like tiny bodies, you know? I don't know, I think he just does that because it's really, like it adds to the cute factor, I guess, you know? Um, but like, it's this idea of baby. So you have a baby and when the baby kind of is getting this idea that I want to walk and so it starts kind of rocking itself on the floor and then it kind of holds on to something and scoots itself aside. And then there comes a day where it lets go of whatever it's holding onto and because of its really big head, the head falls forward. And so now the baby has two choices. It can walk or die, right? And so then here goes a foot and then goes another foot and then it falls. And there's probably not one parent in this room that ever, when their baby took its first step, went up, oh, stupid. Uh, why'd, you, why'd, you, why'd you fall? It's, that's your fault. We're walkers in my family. I don't, we walk, you know? No, a parent freaks out. It was two steps and a fall and he freaks out. Why do parents freak out? Oh, but, but he's, he's walking. I know he fell, but, he, but he's walking. And that's because of Christ. That's how God sees you and me. That when we fall, he's not like, oh, he didn't fall. He's walking. And I know as I continue to restore him and redeem him as he worships me, that it's going to eventually turn into healthy running. And that's what God sees us because of Christ. And really, the only way we can get there is not just about remembering the first thing we need to do. You need to be born again. You need, you need God inside of you. You need Christ inside of you. You need to recognize that it's not just enough to recognize that you're broken. Like, that's cool. Jesus says there's a time coming even now that God will be seeking worshipers to worship in spirit and in truth. So you can know the truth. That's good. That's great. So you know the story and you know, man, I have screwed up royalty. royally. God will be like, yeah, I agree. You have. You did. Spirit and in truth. So, like, if you want to, your worship to be deepened, if you want your joy to be deepened, you got to be born again. 
And for those of you and those of us that have been born again, when you mess up, don't run from God to clean yourself up. Run into God. Remember that God doesn't see you like you used to be. God doesn't see you as the enemy comes into your life and tells you that you are worthless. As the enemy comes into your life and says that you will never be able to fix your marriage. When the enemy tells you that this depression is going to consume your life and that you will never be able to run from it. Remember, remember that God has already liberated you if you have Christ inside of you. So when we take communion today, we're taking the bread that represents God's body that was broken for us. When we drink of the juice that represents his blood that was spilt for us. And by that act, him living a perfect life and dying on the cross and raising. You need all three. You don't just need the cross. It's the fact that he was perfect. He died for us and then he rose again. By him raising again, that means that check is cleared. You're paid for it. You're done. So when we take that, bring it back to your seat and just take a moment to remember. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I remember that you have redeemed me, that you have... Save me. And if today is a day where you're like, you know what, I need that.